0: If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the Old Testament book of Psalms. We'll be in Psalm two. Psalm two. We are going to take a break today from what we've been doing. Uh, we have been doing our study of the Gospel according to Luke, and today we're going to be in the book of Psalms. And as you may have um, as you may have heard, there is a presidential election coming up this week, and uh, I don't expect for it to be decided for several days. After the fact, but, uh, but it is coming up this week, and, and of course that's all the news that you're hearing about, um, and I don't think I've ever seen such a contentious battle politically in my life. Now, I've, uh, there's been nastiness and, and mudslinging throughout, uh, throughout America's history as far as the politicians go, but that's not what I'm talking about. I mean the nation itself is extremely divided. And, and really, uh, a lot of it is for good reason, because the issue, I don't think, is so much the candidates themselves, because frankly, I think in, in, in their own ways, both of them are pretty poor. What I think is, is the, the, the kicker on this, the main point of contention, is that there are two completely different, and frankly, in many ways, incompatible worldviews that are represented. And so, um, as, as, I've, as I've watched the election cycle, I'm sure you've seen it too, people have been unkind and ungracious to one another. I mean, people, uh, friends have, have divided over this issue, and, uh, and I've seen people say, for instance, that it's impossible to be a Christian and vote for Canada X. Have you ever seen something like that? Now, I'm not, I'm not willing to go that far. I'm, I, may have, I, may, I, may not, I may be baffled how any Christian can vote for any particular person or party, but I'm not ready to kick them out of the kingdom for it. And I believe that, that really, uh, there needs to be some charity that goes both ways, there needs to be some love and there needs to be uh, some understanding because, uh, because the Bible says that each of us rises and falls before, before our own master. In other words, we will give an account to God for our choices. And so I believe that we need to show love to one another regardless of the politics. But as much as, as this nation is watching this election, other nations are watching this because the stuff that happens in America affects people in other nations, as much as 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 we are focused on this, have you ever considered what does God think about all this? What does God have to say about this election? Does He have anything to say to the kings and, and to the princes and to the rulers, to the presidents and the governors and the representatives and, and the senators? And I believe the answer to that is yes, and our text today is going to speak to that. We'll be in Psalm uh, chapter 2, or, or the second Psalm, and we will begin in verse 1. So, Uh, If you have your Bible, go ahead and and open there and and stand if you're able to, and we will pick up in Psalm 1 and read down through the um, the whole thing. Maybe if I can get to Psalms. Okay, Psalm 2 and verse 1. He says, Why are the nations in an uproar, and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then He will speak to them in His anger. He will terrify them in His fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and you shall shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that he he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. Thank you. you. May be seated. <clears throat> now, as we look at this psalm as a whole, I, I want you to notice just a couple things before we before we get into it. The psalm naturally breaks down into four parts of three stanzas or three verses each, and each one of them has a different speaker in them. I don't know if you notice that whenever we are reading, but if you look in your Bible or, or maybe up on the screen, um, the first section the kings speak, in the second section. God speaks, in the third section, Messiah speaks, and in the fourth section, the psalmist speaks. And so each of these things, each of these sections has something to say to us today. And the first section I want you to see is verses 1 to 3, and that is the rebellious nations. The rebellious nations. Now, the psalmist asks the questions, why do the nations rage? Or my Bible says, why are the nations in an uproar? And and it's almost like the, the psalmist is scratching his head at the futility of it all. Now, that word rage or, or uproar has the idea of, of a tumult or a commotion. A, a picture of that we might be familiar with is that of a mob. Now, unfortunately, we've seen a lot of mobs, haven't we? Especially here the last couple months with uh, mobs being in the streets and, and burning and looting and, and tearing things down. And then there's this, there's this unrest, there's tumult, there's, there's all this commotion. And that is a picture of the nations. Now, the nations of this earth... The, this, this picture that he gives is a picture of all peoples, all nations, at all times, in all places, apart from those who are in the kingdom of God. In other words, all people, apart from, from those who are in Christ, are in open rebellion against God. Each person is in open rebellion against God. From the lowest uh, depths to the highest heights of the social ladders, people are rebelling against God. They're shaking their fists in the face of heaven's king. Now, this. This, uh, notice what they're doing in, in, verses, um, in verse 2. Or sorry, in verse 1. He says they are devising a vain thing. Now, what is the vain thing that they're devising? Well, according to this psalm, they are trying to stop or prevent or thwart God's government over them. He is going to install his king on his holy mountain, and they don't want that. Now, this, this word for anointed in the Hebrew it's is where we get our, our English word Messiah from. In Greek, it's the word Christos, Christ. Jesus, Christ. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ that's being spoken of. And, and the peoples of this world are in rebellion against him, and they devise a vain thing. Now, they don't know that it's vain. What is vanity? Vanity here is, is, is this futility. It's senseless. It's powerlessness. They want to do something, and they're not able to do it. They don't know that they will be six, unsuccessful in accomplishing their ends. It's all futility. And that is what they're, they're doing. They're devising a vain thing. Now, I want, you to, I want you to just pause for a minute. Because Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are closely related. And what does Psalm 1 start out saying? It says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of, the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he what? meditates day and night. Now that word meditates is the same Hebrew word that's used in, chapter, in in Psalm 2 in verse 1 when it says they are devising or your Bible may say they are imagining. It's the same word. They are meditating. They are thinking about it. Now what does it mean to meditate biblically? Well you guys know what a crock pot is, right? It's when you put something in the crock pot and you just let it simmer. You put it on low and let it cook all day. That's that's a picture of meditation. You get that, that word of God in, and, and then just let it simmer all day. You think about it. You, you, you process it. You mull it over. That's what, that's what these rebellious nations are doing. That is what people in rebellion against God are doing. They are thinking of ways to, to spit in God's face. They're thinking of ways to rebel against God. And the peoples, the, the nations, the kings of the earth, are consumed with this idea, this, this desire to be in rebellion against God. And notice their words, what they say. They say, let us tear their fetters apart. Let us cast their cords from us. In other words, we want to throw off the, 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 the restraints of the moral law of God. We don't want God telling us what we can do and what we can't do. We don't want this, this list of do's and don'ts. We, we want to cast all that stuff off of us. We want to be unrestrained. We want some autonomy. We want some freedom. And they think that being free from God will will cause them to experience freedom. But listen, rejection of God doesn't bring freedom; it brings slavery. And so, so these people, and notice their self perceived power. They say, "Let's cast off these bonds." Like, it's like it's just a, if they just just by sheer power of the will, they can just cast these things off. It's like the parable that Jesus told in Luke nineteen of of a of a man who had a kingdom and his citizens hated him. And they said, we don't want this man to rule over us. That's a picture of what's going on here. We have the rebellious nations. Now I want you to picture that in in your mind, this this large mob of people from every tribe, home, people, and nation. They're in rebellion against God. There's commotion. There's just unrest. There's anger. And then I want you to, 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 to pan up into heaven. To the highest heights and see the enthroned King. Now we look at all this and we say, Man, look at all these people that are in, in rebellion against God, all this hostility towards God's toward God and his people. We look at all this. What is God's response to it all? Because we look at this and we wring our hands. We look at this and we say, Oh boy, I just don't know what's I don't know what's happening in this world. Well what's God's response? Is he is he up there pacing heaven's floor? Is he wearing a, a Uh, a a bald spot on the streets of gold where he's just pacing back and forth is God wringing his hands is he looking at Michael and Gabriel and saying guys I need some advice what should I do about this is he losing sleep about this what is God's response look at verse 4 he laughs he who sits in the heavens laughs the Lord scoffs at them God's not worried. God's not not stressed about it all. Now, this is not a laugh of hilarity. It's not a laugh of frivolity. It's a laugh of derision. Like, please, come on. He is enthroned in heaven above. He's not pacing. He's not worried. He's sitting down. He's on the throne, and He's not getting up. God is enthroned in heaven. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 15 says, Behold, the nations... Are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. The nations rage and God laughs. They rage and he laughs. Now, notice his laughter, his scoffing does not go on forever because he scoffs and then he speaks. Now, to speak here is to act. And notice what his act is. They, they, they went with all their might, and they're trying as hard as they can to stop God's activity, to stop His rule, uh, His government from being over them. They take their stand, and what does God do? Verse 6, He installs His king. I like the way one author put it. He said, God's, appointed, God's anointed is appointed and shall not be disappointed. Now, when did this happen? What well, happened at Christ's coronation. When was that? at his resurrection, and in particular, his ascension. When he ascended on high, the Bible says that what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is ruling with the Father. Now, now here's how powerless man is when when man tries to thwart God's plan. When when man's plans run contrary to God's plans, contrary to his will, here's what he does. Not only does, does he... Not get stopped by him. Sometimes he will use man's attempts to stop him to accomplish his purposes. Say, so, Pastor, what are you talking about? Think about Egypt, way back in the Book of Exodus. Joseph is on the scene in in uh, in the Book of Genesis. He finishes out his time. He passes on. The Pharaoh comes onto the scene. Didn't know anything about Joseph. The Israelites are in the land. They begin to reproduce. They begin to. To, to grow in number, the Pharaoh gets worried. And so what does Pharaoh do? He says, take these babies and drown them in the Nile River. I'm going to stop God's people. I'm going to put an end to this. I'm going to thwart this plan. Drown them in the river. Moses is born. After a while, his mom puts him where? In that same river. And one day, just by chance, Pharaoh's daughter, the one who said, drown the babies in the river. His daughter goes to that river and finds the baby that was put in that river. And what does she do? Does she dump him out in the water? No, she adopts him. Brings him in, into Pharaoh's court. The one who had said, let's kill him, is now his grandpa. Being raised in the, in the, in the court of Egypt, in the court of Pharaoh, being given all, the, all, the, all that Egypt has to offer him, Man raged, man devised, man schemed, he he took his stand against God, and God laughed. Oh, you think you're going to stop this? Watch this. You think about the cross. Herod, Pontius Pilate, the religious leaders, they had it in their hearts and in their minds they're going to crucify Jesus. If If we can just have him put to death, he will not be the Messiah. He can't be the Messiah if he's dead. The very reason Jesus came was to give his life a ransom for many. It was foretold in the scriptures. Man took their stand against God. They tried to prevent his anointed. And they were the instrument through which God brought about his purposes. They said, if we can just kill him, we'll keep him from being Messiah. And the very act of killing him fulfilled God's purpose in bringing salvation to mankind. You think about the early church. The Roman government and others thought if we can just persecute them, if we can just oppress them, if we can, if we can just if we can just pressure them enough, we will stamp out Christianity and keep that gospel from spreading. And if you've ever stomped on a a, on a burning leaf, what happens? The embers go out all over the place, right? So here's Rome, the most mighty nation on the earth. They say, we are going to stamp out Christianity. We're going to persecute them, causing the Christians to flee to other lands, carrying, guess what, the gospel. Man took his, his stand against God, and God laughed. Oh, you think you're going to stomp this out? Watch this. God laughed, not because he thinks it's funny, but it's, he, he is scoffing at the utter futility and powerlessness of mankind to stop God. Now here's why I want you to remember. No matter what happens in our personal lives, as we were talking about the election, no matter what happens this week or the week after, God's not worried. God's not stressed. It's not taking God by surprise. He's still on the throne. He's He's on the throne right now, and he'll be on the throne whether your guy gets in or not. God is not worried about it. Man makes their plans, and God laughs. He is enthroned in heaven. So we've seen the, 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 the rebellious nations. We've seen the enthroned king. Next I want you to see the reigning son. The reigning son. So, so God the Father has enthroned his Messiah, Jesus Christ, his son, on the throne. And notice, notice what the Messiah does. He speaks. And notice what he does in verse 7. He shares what you might call, I'm getting ready to give you a great big phrase he shares what you might call intertrinitarian dialogue. I say, good grief, what is that? The Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. They had they had communion and fellowship with one another before any of us ever came along. Before, before anything was created, they had perfect fellowship. See, God didn't make us because He was lonely. He had perfect fellowship within Himself. And there was there was some sort, and we don't know all the mechanics of it. There was some sort of communication between the father and the son we wouldn't know about, except it's recorded in Scripture right here. And here's here's what he says, verse seven, the Messiah is speaking, Jesus is speaking. He says, "Surely I will tell of the decree of the Lord." He said to me, "You are my son today. I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance, the very ends of the earth." as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, you shall shatter them like earthenware. So here's a conversation between Father and Son before the foundation of the world. You say, how do you know when it was? Because all of history, from the beginning when God said, let there be light, until the end of time, is all about it culminated in Jesus Christ dying on the cross and redeeming the people for himself. That is, this, this this whole drama of of redemption was not god trying to play catch up this was god's plan the whole time and his his acting this this conversation this decision to act was before it was antecedent to the act itself and so here he tells the son that or the son tells us the decree the will of god this is god's plan this is what he is going to accomplish and what is it what does he say in verses seven and following I'm going to give you a people redeemed from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now, how does that happen? Here's a passage you probably have heard once or twice. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples, where? Of all the nations. Baptizing them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This has always been God's plan. God has redeemed for His, is redeeming for Himself a people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Now, I want you to get hung up on, on verse 7 where it says that the Father has begotten the Son because what we do is we read our experience into the Bible. And in our experience, if somebody begets... Somebody else, that necessarily means that the person who is begotten did not exist at a certain point in time prior to this begetting. But we know that's not the case here because the the Bible tells us explicitly in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 that the Son is of the same nature, the same substance as the Father. He is eternal, just as the Father is. So this does not mean that God created him. This does not mean that, that he gets his That he owes his existence to the Father? That's not what this is talking about. What this has the idea of... Now, now the the New Testament writers, the inspired apostles, applied this verse to Jesus. This passage about being begotten and so forth. They applied it to Jesus several times, in particular to his resurrection. Acts chapter 13, verses 32 and 33. Paul says, And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children, and that He raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second Psalm: "You are my son; today I have begotten you." So then, it would have the sense then, not of bringing something into existence, but making it plain, making it obvious, of revealing the fact. Paul said it a different way in Romans chapter one and verse four. He says that he says there that Jesus has been declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead the resurrection displayed it made plain it manifested that Jesus is the son that he is the son of God now look at this promise that that the father makes to the son he says that you will receive the nations as an inheritance the Bible again as I said it the Bible tells us that God's redeeming the people from, from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. In the book of Revelation, chapter 5 and verse 9, it says that uh, John the Apostle is, is looking out in this heavenly vision. He says, they, were, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nations. Jesus is getting for himself people from all over the world. Not just here in America, not just here in Missouri. He's getting people in China. He's getting people in Russia. He's getting people in Uganda. He's getting getting people in Chile. He's getting people all over the place. You say, but there at the end of verse 9, it doesn't sound like he's getting people for himself because what does it say? He says he'll break them with a rod of iron. He'll, he'll, he'll crush them like, like, if, you took a, uh, like you, if you took a ball bat to a glass pitcher. What's that? That doesn't sound like redemption. Listen, not everybody responds positively to the call of Christ. There are some who persist in their rebellion against God. And, and Jesus is not limited in His power to bring judgment. The Bible says when He returns, He will judge those who, He'll bring retribution against those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel. So we've seen the rebellious nations. We've seen the enthroned king. We've seen, uh, the, we, we've seen the, the sun that's raining. And last I want you to see the warned people. The warned people. Now, the psalmist in verses 10 through 12 issues a warning. First to kings, he says in verse, verse 10, Now therefore, because of all this, therefore, O kings... Show discernment. Be wise. Use good judgment. You've been shown the vanity of fighting against God. Therefore, act accordingly. Therefore, act accordingly. Show some discernment. And then he speaks to the judges and he reminds us the judges that they too will be judged. Therefore, they need to take warning. And what is their response supposed to be? Look at verse 11. They should worship the Lord with reverence. And how's that look? It looks like rejoicing with trembling. Second, verse 12, he says they should do homage to the Son. Now, your Bible may translate that as kiss the Son. That's where the, the, the title of this sermon came from kiss the sun." This is not a kiss of friendship. It's certainly not a romantic kiss. It's a kiss of submission. If you've ever seen a, a, a movie scene where there's a king, maybe somebody, and and uh, has a whole lot of power, and somebody is, is in a lower position than them, sometimes what well, they'll do, they'll kiss the ring. In, in ancient times, in this culture, it was not uncommon to, uh, for, for a subject to kiss the hand, or the ring, or even the feet of the king. And that's the idea. You need to submit to the son, kiss the son, honor him, worship him. Why? Why? The rest of verse 12, so you don't experience his wrath. And he concludes with an exhortation to everybody. Not just the kings, not just the rulers, not just the judges. How blessed are those, all those who take refuge in him. So what does this have to say to us especially as we look ahead to the coming election? What does it have to say to us? Well, four things. Number one, it tells us that whatever schemes man comes up with, they are subservient to And will ultimately fulfill the decree, the will of God. They will accomplish what he wants to do in this world. He's not worried. He's not on edge. He's not sitting up late late at night, wringing his hands, saying, oh, what will I do? He's he's not worried about any of that stuff. God's in control. He is enthroned in heaven. Man, Man plans and God scoffs. We can't even slow him down, much less stop him. That's the first thing we need to remember. As we look ahead of this, remember it may stress you out, but it doesn't stress God out. Second, it tells us that the president, the senators, the representatives, the mayor's governors, all leaders, all leaders, everybody that's in a position of power, it reminds them that Christ is king. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. He's in charge. He is enthroned. He sits and he rules. And therefore, they would be wise to submit to his rulership. They would be wise to do what he says, to follow the precepts that he lays out in his words. As, as Micah says, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before their God. Why? Because he is sovereign. They are not And they would be wise to live accordingly. And finally, it tells us that whether or not people are in a position of power, if we're not in a position of leadership, we would be wise, we would be blessed, according to verse 12, to take refuge in Him. In other words, come to Him for salvation. Kiss the Son. Submit to Him. Give control and rule of your life to him. Why? At the very least, so you don't experience his wrath. Once you stand with me as musicians come, and as you stand as you bow your heads and close your eyes. And just in the quiet of this time, I just want you to contemplate the psalmist's words. I believe this election is going to have lasting consequences one way or the other for this nation. But no matter what decision is made, no matter who sits in the White House, God sits in heaven. He's not stressed, He's not worried. he accomplishes well the Bible says he does what he wants the Bible says he ordains whatsoever shall come to pass and maybe you need to take comfort in that you've been looking at all the things and you're distressed and worried maybe maybe you need that reminder that the blessed are those who take refuge in him Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you have never bowed the knee to Jesus, to King Jesus. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart while still called today. Kiss the Son, bow to Him. Heavenly Father, Lord, we realize We acknowledge, we recognize that that mankind is we're in rebellion against you. We recognize that apart from Christ we stand condemned. We recognize that um, the man takes his stand and we think that we're hot stuff. We think that we can can thwart your plans, but we know that you look at it, you look at it look at all our attempts, and you laugh, you scoff. And all the all the might, all the power, all the all the stuff that we can come up with, we're just like a, a speck of dust on the scales. Father, I pray that you would again that you would be in our nation, that you would, um, that you would let us make um, a decision that, that will uh, retain for us the freedoms we have at all levels of government, not only this year, but in years to come. But God, no matter what it is that happens, whether uh, our guy gets in this year or, or, or next election cycle or whenever it is, help us always to remember that you sit enthroned in heaven you're not worried, you're not concerned. Help us take comfort in that. And God, for that person maybe who's never bowed the knee to Jesus, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, let them submit themselves to you, and help each of us as Christians as we try to live our lives in a way that pleases you. Help us to, on a daily basis, submit to you. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.